Alright, this morning's reading comes from Hebrews 13.8. Appreciate your pastoral leaders who gave you the word of God. Take a good look at the way they live and let their faithfulness instruct you, as well as their truthfulness. There should be a consistency that runs through, through us all, for Jesus doesn't change. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, he's always totally himself. If you've got your Bibles, please open them up to John chapter 14. And my lesson today will be at least seven minutes. You may not know David Murray, but he is on the church payroll. And he comes to our uh, building at least once a week to check on the lights of our building, and we've got many. When they've burned out, he does his best to make sure that they are burning bright again. And we love him. Well, he came in this last Thursday, and I thought I heard his voice out in the office. I was in mine. And when I heard singing happy birthday, I, I kind of suspected it was probably David's birthday. The staff was singing to him. Sure enough, I went outside and Danielle asked, did you know it was David's birthday? And I said, no. How old are you, David? 29? He laughed. I said, you don't look anything younger than 29. He said, I'm 58. I said, no way. How in the world could you have all that color still left in your hair and be 58 years old? I'm 55 and look what happened to me. I said, how do you explain that, David? True statement. He responded, simple. I didn't raise two daughters. <laughs> I love that. Well, there you go. That's how this happened. Well, I obviously have raised two daughters, and I had the opportunity to be with them this last week, which is why I wasn't here last Sunday. Uh, we were enjoying what the sportsmen are calling their famcation. Um, we started this about two years ago, and our aim is simple try to meet somewhere in America and enjoy each other's company for at least three or four days, hopefully a week. And so far, we're two for two. First year, we met in San Antonio down in the King William District. If you've never been down there, it's amazing. The old homes that are down there, we found a nice bed and breakfast uh, behind one of their major mansions there and just had a great time on the river wall. This year, we went down to Galveston. Not our beach of choice, mind you, all right? But uh, it was one of convenience because my son-in-law is a trainer with the Texans and they're up to their eyeballs in spring training and so he couldn't go very far. And I just want to say this, if you've never been to Galveston, uh, you need to hit downtown. The thing they call the Strand uh, is just amazing. There are houses there that will just stun you, uh, especially seeing them in such a huge collection. And we spent some time down on the Strand and we did a little speckled trout fishing not much catching, but we did a little speckled trout fishing, and I uh, hope to do that again some other time. But the highlight, I want to tell you, was our family dinner. Uh, before we went on our trip, we decided that uh, each of us would um, fix a meal for a night, all three couples, myself and Gail, um, Tabitha and Travis, and Tyler and Lauren. Well, our night was the first night, so we opted to go eat out. I didn't get this gray here for nothing. But I'm telling you, those t two families um, cooked over the top. Fajitas one night, fish tacos another night. But it wasn't the food. Uh, it, was, it was watching them serve, watching them prepare the meal, watching them clean up, the laughter, the, the singing that went on. Uh, and I had these flashbacks of back when the, my girls were smaller, and they had to be bought to do that. And they did not do it with a smile on their face and a song in their heart. No, they didn't. And it just reminded me of that word that you're seeing up on uh, the screen, transitions. Or as we often sing here, sing the song with me, Things Change. You remember how it goes? Things change. 
Now, some of you forgotten that song already. One more time. Here we go. Things change. And they do. And uh, this is one weekend in which we're not just ignoring those, but spending some time thinking about that and, and how we live for Christ in the midst of some of those transitions. Some of the transitions that um, occur in our lives we, we wish could stay around for a long, long time. We embrace them and want to hold on to them. And then there are others that we just soon never experience. And we'll talk about both of those today. But wouldn't it be cool if you could just order life like you would ordering dinner off of a menu? Lord, I'd like to start out with a bowl of adventure and uh, have a little fertility sprinkled in on top. Maybe a little sign of agility, but please cut the disability, all right? For the main course, I'd like 16 ounces of indulgence. Rare, all right? With plenty of carefree on the side. No consequences, please. And for dessert, how about a mound of cash with a little longevity and a hint of security, if you don't mind? Well, that'd be a five-star meal, wouldn't it? But it's a fantasy because truth is life often serves us up a meal that we'd never order. As a matter of fact, some of you are wondering if maybe the waiter upstairs got your order wrong. You ordered early retirement, but along with it came a lot of inflation, even though the government says we don't have any, and marital problems. You just knew you asked for a great college and education and a meaningful job, but what you got with was an unexpected pregnancy and merciless colic. Why'd that expensive bottle of transfer have to come just six months before my oldest son graduated from high school? Couldn't it have come with a little bit of patience? You know, life sometimes gets packed with surprises that we never could have imagined. Can you say the word modification? Can you say the word uh, transition? There you go. Can you say the word alteration? All of them are a part of the song. Things change. And they do. In the blink of an eye, it seems that you're moving up the ladder or out of the house, or over the age of retirement, or through the system. And with all of this moving, come changes that make you smile and some that absolutely make you cry. And in those rare occasions that you think that the snow and the snow globe has settled down for maybe a while, all of a sudden, one thing happens in an instant, and it just flips it upside down, or it just shakes it unmercifully. Our family... Just finished up what I told you was our famcation, and Gail and I got home. The next evening, um, we got a phone call from one of um, the neighbors that lives in San Angelo next to Gail's mom's house. Uh, we still have that and have been trying to get it ready for sale this coming July, as a matter of fact. But she had gone by the garage and noticed there was water coming out from the garage. So we got in the car and drove the two and a half hours up there Monday night, opened the door, to what immediately looked like tens of thousands of dollars of devastation. $65,000 to be exact. To clean it all up and to replace it. That wasn't on my menu for July, okay? It wasn't. What was on our menu was to, when we got back from Famcation, run up there, throw some paint on the walls during Fourth of July weekend, and get that thing on the market for sale. My, how things change. The truth is, Gail and I have often um, 
enjoyed a meal that's been delivered on our doorstep like that. And we've come to realize that it's both bitter and sweet. Right now is the bitter. We've experienced that before. But, we, but we've seen to find out that with God in our lives and the Holy Spirit in our lives and this crucified Savior in our lives, that somehow that bitter turns, well, no, it has a pretty good, a pretty sweet finish. That's what I love about God. The truth is, though, we would all opt out for the bitterness part. The disciples hoped to. It wasn't on their menu when Jesus warned in John chapter 14 and verse 28. I'm going away. Those were words that were spoken over a meal that the Jews looked forward to every single year. It was a meal called the, the Passover celebration, and it really was. This was Thursday night, though, in the upper room, and Jesus and his friends were doing their best to enjoy a pretty quiet meal in the midst of what had been a very chaotic week. Truth be told, spirits had never been higher amongst them. Jesus' popularity polls were off the charts. They came into town to their own parade. People lining the streets and shouting Hosanna. They knew it was for the one that was riding on that colt, but the disciples also knew that they were his disciples, and so they shared in it just as well. Their table talk that night was full of references about a coming kingdom. And to a man, they were ready to rain down fire on all of their enemies, each hoping to have one of the high places in the Lord's coming cabinet. No, they believed Israel's best days were in front of them, and they would each taste of it, a big bowl of it. No more Roman occupation. No more foreign oppression in their land. This was their moment, and buddy, they were going to see, seize it. When all of a sudden, Jesus drops a fly in their soup with those words that you're reading. I'm going away. Now, he went on to further elaborate with these words. You know the way where I'm going. <laughs> I love Thomas. With a mouthful of exasperation, he says, no. <laughs> we don't know, Lord. We have no idea where you're going, so how can you say we know the way? love that the Bible includes those type of responses to Jesus because that was understandable Jesus hands the disciples a plate full of major transition and they want to hand it back just like you and I do as far as I've observed you can't do that in my 55 years you can't do that the only place you can't find change is at the soda machine. Have you been to one lately? Never find change there. Listen to Solomon. He was the wisest man in the world, the scripture says. For everything, let me underscore that, for everything, there's a season. A time for every activity under heaven. A time to be born, and there's a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to harvest. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. There's a time to tear down and a time to build up. There's a time to cry. Ah, oh, but there's a time to laugh. Yes, there's a time to grieve, but thank God there's a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to turn away from embracing. A time to search and a time to quit searching and a time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to hear and a time to mend. 
a time to be quiet and a time to speak, a time to love and even a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Now, when I do the math for that, I um, notice 28 different seasons there. Birth, dying, lamenting, cheering, loving, hating, embracing, separating. God orchestrates life like he orchestrates his universe through seasons. Have you noticed? And most of us, I think, have a pretty good grasp on God's management strategy. Nature needs winter to rest and spring to awaken. I mean, none of us dash into underground shelters at the sight of spring flowers. The colors of autumn don't strike fear into anybody's hearts. I have rarely seen the change of earthly seasons upset those who are closest to me. However, the change of personal seasons, man, it seems like it's a cause for sirens. The way some panic at the sight of change, you'd, lead, you'd be led to believe bombs had dropped on their lives. Especially in the church, those sirens can be loudest. You heard it. Run for your lives. The elders have approved community groups for Sunday night. Load the women and the children on the bus. A team of singers are going to lead our worship instead of one person. Man the fallout shelters. We've decided to stop referring to our servant leaders as deacons. We're going to call them ministry leaders from now on. It seems to translate better. Change can be a little disconcerting. It always can be. And that's why I love God's brilliance. To send in advance of all of our lives somebody to bring a little stability to our lives. And you know him as the Holy Spirit. That's who he sent. And on the eve of his death, Jesus gave his followers this promise. When the Father sends the Comforter as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything. And he will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift of peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So do not be troubled or afraid. I love that. Like a departing teacher might introduce his classroom to a brand new replacement. Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit to his disciples. But listen to the ringing endorsement that he gives. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit, and I underscored it here with yellow, my representative. How is he going to represent Jesus to the world? Just this way. He's going to come in Jesus' name. He's going to come with equal authority. He's going to come with identical power. But he won't just be with them short term like Jesus was. No, the promise is, I will be with you forever. That's what the word is. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, he says earlier in the evening, to be with you. And notice the forever. Now, I've gone again and highlighted the words another helper because the Greek language is kind of unique in the sense that it employs two distinct words for the word another. One word means totally different. The other translates another like the first. When Jesus promises another helper here, another counselor here, he's using the second of the two. That's huge. Because he's promising you one just like the one that came before. Now, let me illustrate it this way. You guys have been in a car accident. And um, the insurance agent calls you up and says, 
we're going to give you another car. Now, that word another matters, doesn't it? It could be just like, well, like any car, any means of transportation, or do you mean like Jesus did, the word alos, one just like I had? Makes a difference, doesn't it? And so when he lists another helper there and he attaches to that one just like we had, it's significant. And what a first one we had. Jesus himself, that had to bring some measure of relief, I think, to the disciples when he says, I'm going away, boys. And you're about to enter into a new season of allegiance with me that you've never been in before. It is going to be a much different chapter. There will be change, but one thing is going to remain constant. My presence. You're going to enjoy the presence of another helper, another comforter, another advocate. All of those are words our language, our English language uses to translate the word parakletos, which is an interesting word in and of itself. Para means alongside of. Kletos means called out, designated, or assigned. You put them together, and Jesus says, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to leave with you someone that's been called out who's going to come alongside you, and he will be with you. And he says there in that meeting with those disciples, yea, even inside you. Now, I doubted very seriously that quieted all their fears. But I think it had to encourage them a little bit. And they would need it. Because by Friday sunrise, they will have abandoned Jesus. Come breakfast, all of them will have headed for the hills. Because at 9 o'clock that morning, the Roman soldiers were going to put a nail through Jesus' hands, each one of them, and then nails through his feet. And not shortly after that, a spear in his side. And their rabbi and their friend would be dead and buried in a borrowed tomb by the time tomorrow night rolls around. Things change. Their world is flipped absolutely on its head. But Jesus wants them to know they will never have to face anything in the future without him. And here's what's equally stunning for us. Sister, listen to me. Neither will you. Nothing. You have a designated companion. You have been assigned a very specific, powerful companion. You have a Dave Beecham. <laughs> Dave was my NASCAR buddy. A couple of years back, I told you a story about um, how I spent some time on Texas Motor Speedway driving a NASCAR. I'm not going to go back and tell you how we came to that 50-year-old uh, celebration for myself, but we were unleashed to drive true NASCARs. Last night was the running of the Daytona 500, so it was kind of cool to watch a little bit of that and have a flashback of me driving one of those babies. It actually happened. I'm not talking about riding in one. I'm talking about driving one on one of their speedways. We had to take an hour and a half class beforehand to familiarize ourselves with the race car and the track. And then we were assigned a very professional driver who sat next to us in the passenger seat while we drove. I'm talking me hold the steering wheel, me apply the brake, me put on the gas. He rode next to me. But I'm telling you, Dane never had his hand far from my steering wheel. Ever. And that was as much for his sake as it was for mine. For the first five laps, we hit top speeds of 130 miles an hour. His hand, again, never, never leaving the steering wheel then. 
My hands were on top, but his was always on the bottom for the first five laps. And he never stopped offering instructions, and he never stopped offering encouragement. If I drove too close to the wall, I could feel that gentle hand turning more than what I was willing to turn. And if I became a little bit too timid, he was encouraging me and sometimes pushing my knee down to go faster, sportsman. That's what you're here for. And all the while, he just kept assuring me I could do this. It was amazing. So glad I gave that to Gail for her 50th birthday. <laughs> After the first five laps at 130 miles an hour, the next 15 were spent right at 150 miles an hour. It's amazing. And my hands were the ones primarily on the steering wheel on those last 15. What a comfort to know that Dane's hands, Dane's ability, Dane's track savvy, Dane's encouragement was right there, though, at my disposal at any second. Couldn't you use a helper like that? The Word of God says you've got one. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ places his spirit before and behind, yea, even inside us. Not a strange spirit, but the same spirit, the Bible promises, the same parakletos that the disciples had and that Jesus himself had. Everything that the spirit did for the disciples, he does for us. Jesus taught, the spirit teaches. Jesus healed, the spirit heals. Jesus comforted, his spirit comforts. And so please know this, if Jesus is going to send you into a new season for you to engage, he's going to also send his helper with you. Because God never sends us out alone. Never. So let me ask you. July's here. Do you sense a new season coming on in your life? Do you sense one coming on in the life of this church? I promise you the one that's ahead for the life of this church is going to be every bit as meaningful, every bit as wondrous, and every bit as challenging as the last seasons you've enjoyed here. And sometimes endured here. But whatever the future holds, heaven has made us a very, very clear promise. When everything changes, God never does. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? So we have his promise. The unchanging God will be with us through all of these incredible changes we're going to experience together as a family. In John chapter 14, verse 26... We have the same assurance of the disciples that the Spirit will teach us. And everything that, that we have learned, he will remind us of. That's part of what his, his person is. That's part of what he does. And so I just want to say, do yourself a favor. Make friends with whatever comes next. Change is not only a part of life. I want you to leave here remembering it's a necessity to life. It's part of how God purposefully chooses to change our world. He was constantly altering assignments. We see this in this book page after page after page. Gideon is taken from being a farmer and made a general. He takes Mary from being a peasant girl and transfers her with a new job assignment of being mother of the Messiah. He took a local rabbi, Paul, and makes him a world evangelist. He transitions Joseph from being a baby brother to an Egyptian prince. He changes David from being a shepherd king to she from a shepherd to being a king. He takes Peter from his desire to go catch some fish and says, no, 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 no. Something bigger is in your future. Let's go catch some men. 
and he launches the first church. It amazes me how God seems to love reassignments. And right now, our brother Greg's being reassigned. He'll still do some things here that we desperately need him to be a part of because of all the gifts that he's been given. But God's reassigning him for the moment. I'm curious to see what's next in him and Debbie, in he and Debbie's lives. It will be every bit as amazing, I believe, as what's been taking place the last 20 years. Embrace the change. Not just this change, but all change. Because I know some of you are saying, but what about those changes that nobody wants? What about the tragic changes that God permits? Well, I'm going to tell you, I'll be the first to say that some seasons make no sense at all to me. They just don't. Who in the world can find a welcome place for life's puzzle in a deformed child? Or the enormity of an earthquake's devastation like we've seen in Haiti and other countries? Or when a company moves its production plant from America to some other place just so it can save a few bucks and improve their bottom line? And it abandons an entire town. How in the world can those devastating damages be part of a divine purpose? And I want to be the first one to say, I don't know. I don't have eyes to see that, not here in this place, because I think our perspective is so close to this, but I have God's word on it, that when I'm with him, looking at a different perspective from heaven's view, it's all going to make sense, or at least more sense. Here's this promise in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see in a mirror darkly, but then we're going to see face to face. Now I know in part, but then we'll know as I've even known myself. Man, I love that promise. How do I know it's possible? Well, let me remind you of you and your time that you spend in the womb, okay? Now I know you don't remember your prenatal season, but every one of you, I guarantee you, experienced it. But let me remind you of what happened during that period of your life, okay? Every day in your mother's womb, you were being prepared for your earthly life outside. Your bones were being solidified. Your eyes were being developed. The umbilical cord was transferring nutrients from your mother into your growing frame. And why? One reason. So that you might remain in the confines of your mother's womb happily forever. No. You were getting kicked out. (laughs) And you needed to be prepared for the next big change coming in your life. Your womb time equipped you for your earth time. That's what it did. And it enabled you to function in your postpartum existence. And I love that. Did you know that some prenatal features were unused, however, before you were born? You grew a nose, but you didn't breathe. Your eyes became fully developed, but you couldn't see. Your tongue and toenails and crop of hair on your head serve no function in the womb, but aren't you glad you have them now? Most of you have them all now. In the same way, certain chapters of your life seem incredibly unnecessary. They do in mine. Like nostrils for those who are pre-born is suffering and loneliness and disease and holocaust and martyrdom and monsoons and leaky water lines that trash a house. All of that seems optional to me. I could do without that, I think, Lord. But brother, if you assume that the world exists only for your pre-grave happiness, then even those few atrocities I've mentioned beg to differ. What if, what if this earth is really the womb 2.0. 
Could the transitions and challenges you and I face serve us to prepare us for something that's even bigger to come? Paul tries to get us to believe that when he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, these little troubles are getting us ready for an eternal glory that will make all of our troubles seem like nothing. Now, I don't know about you, but when it comes to eternal, never-ending glory, I'd like to pass on the plate, give me a platter. <laughs> give me a platter. One big platter of endless joy and presence of a limitless God. Go heavy, Lord, on the wonder, and let's cut out the heartache. And he says, I can do that. Just not here. Ah, but there's a day coming. There's a day coming. And there is a reservation card with your name on it at our table. And when you get here for that dinner, oh, baby. But it's a reservation that you've got to accept. The invitations have been given out. And if they've never been given out to your life, this preacher is standing up here today to give you one now. Would you like to be a part of God's family? Would you like to not just have every sin in your life removed, but the presence of the holy God move inside you to empower you to live a life that God's planned and dreamed for you from the beginning of time? That's what you're being offered today. And, and, the only death you need to experience that has any significance at all is back here in this water. Because what we do with people who want to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ is we take them back there and we bury them to raise them to walk in a newness of what, church? Oh, baby life. That's your invitation. And if you've never accepted that, I, would, I, I hope you don't leave here today. What a 4th of July. You talk about freedom. This is your weekend. And if you're my brother or sister, and you have um, just met something face to face, something's been put on your plate, you just soon send back. Can I re-encourage you to say, no? How about we do this together as a family? And how about we do it with the power of the Holy Spirit? What do you say? I think that would be a powerful witness to those out there who don't know him and haven't received him yet. So we're going to sing a song that we call the invitation song, and it is your invitation. Please, please, if you don't have this spirit living inside you, or if you've allowed sin to be in your life to a point that it reigns more than he reigns, this time of invitation is for you. we got folks at the back and here at the front, and we would love to welcome you and do whatever you need to do to get you right with God. Let's stay in church and let's sing.